is Rachel Romeliotis, uh, Vice President of Content Strategy at O'Reilly Media, and I am here with Daniel Crook, an IBM Developer Advocate. Thanks for joining me, Daniel. Thank you for having me, Rachel. So we are here to talk about Call for Code. So Call for Code is a worldwide, multi-year initiative calling the world's developers to solve pressing global problems with sustainable software solutions. With a project like this of such giant scale, how would you recommend that a developer contribute? How do you how do you start something like that? <laughs> it seems so overwhelming. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Call for Code, as you said, it's it's an initiative to to match the skills of developers to the the largest challenges we face as a planet. Right. So and then the biggest challenge um, that well, one of the biggest ones out there is preparing for disasters, responding to them. So what we've done is we put in place um, incentives for individual developers or organizations. Um, so their universities, their enterprises, their startups, their nonprofits to get together in teams of five and ideally bring a mix of skills. So domain expertise about the problem they're trying to solve, development, design, business analytics folks. Um, and basically bring those folks, those people together and create solutions um, over the, the course of a few months to build something that ultimately saves lives, um, preventing loss from natural disasters. So you can participate virtually uh, at an event and um, submit online at the end of the competition. That's awesome. So have people, have there been either by you or others community events put together around this initiative? Yeah. So we've already had um, a bunch of call for code days uh, and events. So when we kicked off, we announced this back in May. Ginny uh, Rometty, the IBM chairperson, um, she announced it at Viva Tech in Paris. And then we kicked off the competition in June. So since June and through the end of the competition in September, uh, what we're doing is a bunch of local events, um, uh, meetups or conferences where we get people to understand the challenges that are out there with disaster preparedness. Uh, I'm getting thinking about the solutions so that they can get started with um, the technology that they can use to build out applications, take the time to build something really high quality, not just uh, throwaway code, and ultimately submit that at the end of the competition. Awesome. So, I mean, so you talk about natural disasters and, and I've heard you talk on this and this is just true. There's so many, unfortunately, happening and we're just, we're heading into um, really like deep hurricane uh, season down in the Caribbean and stuff. What, um, what sort of solutions are you looking for? What, what issues would you love to see addressed by this, um, this program? Yeah, so there's lots of different ways to approach the problem. And uh, one of the ways that we've done it with our IBM developer advocacy is that we have a bunch of sample applications, uh, full-scale solutions called code patterns. Um, and we've identified about six technology areas where um, we think that technology can make a real difference in disaster preparedness. So it, it maps up against uh, real-world real world, um, problem definitions that come from the United Nations Human Rights Office, uh, American Red Cross, and in, they sit in six technology areas. So there's artificial intelligence for visual recognition, for automated language translations, IoT with sensor data, traffic and weather data, things like that. There's a whole set of technologies that we think can be matched up against those problems and hopefully create something new. So the two of the key areas that I think are really promising, uh, and because this is around disaster preparedness as well as relief, is that you can use a lot of analytics to do some long-term planning. Um, so risk identification, uh, for example, um, choosing not to build in a flood-prone area, making sure that decisions are made well in advance um, to prevent the loss of life. And then there's things like uh, responding after the fact when networks aren't available. So some of the really great promising technology is, is coming from uh, the offline first community, 
where you don't have network, but you have compute capabilities on a mobile device. Uh, it can store data, sync it later. It can still do visual recognition uh, using the built-in SDKs, uh, things like that. So lots of data science uh, in advance and a lot of tactical IoT solutions after the fact. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like sensors could be super helpful, and you, whether online or offline. You know, gathering that data, like, first of all, it could be something where, you know, it tells you know, authorities or or some institution that something's happening. But then while it's happening, to your point, like while it's offline, it could still have all of that information gathering being done. And then that kind of brings up sort of like edge computing, which is interesting, like how much could be happening, you know, closer to the sensor rather than not. So I think the code patterns that have been identified, I think, make a lot of sense. So um, what about if I were someone that was coming in to uh, be a part of this? How do you think we should get like these teams together? How should we be encouraging the teams to collaborate and and whether that be through some sort of hackathon or, you know, different people uh, at a company gathering together? Yeah, great question. So um, we do want to see cross-domain expertise on teams, right? So this is, of course, we're attracting developers. We want developers to apply technology, but that's going to require skills across the board. So what we've been doing, and one of the things we actually did at OSCON last month was to do a, what we call a design thinking workshop. And this is IBM's human-centered methodology for developing modern software. And so what we did was we put together a workshop at the booth. Um, We had folks brainstorm out, okay, this is what, from the point of view of someone suffering from disaster, what they would need, um, how they might have a solution, and then think their way and think your way back to developing a solution. And that requires a lot of different skills and a lot of different ways to empathize with, with that particular person and therefore work back to developing the technology with that person in mind to actually solve the problem. So we've been doing those workshops at conferences. We did it in Berlin, um, and there's a couple of other conferences coming up where we, we, we hope to do that and inspire folks to look from that human point of view, uh, from that persona, and and build the technology. And we've been doing that at the conferences, uh, meetups around the world. We've got a list at developer.ibm.com slash call for code. There's an events listing, so around the world where we have our existing IBM developer advocates um, talking about technology. They're also framing it in how that could be used for disaster preparedness and relief. That's awesome. So, I mean, this is this is a big deal for IBM. This is like a $30 million investment. Can you talk about the impact that IBM hopes to make by undertaking this whole challenge? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so natural disasters, they, they affect every community on the planet, 2.5 billion people in the last 20 years. So first and foremost, we want to reduce the loss of life caused by the events. At the same time, we want developers to know that there are frameworks out there provided by uh, non-government organizations with potential solutions in them, and that we have a technology that can start to answer and and speed along uh, the goals and targets of of, um, reducing the loss of lives. So we want to see IBM Cloud, data, AI, blockchain, all of our technology um, at the forefront of creating solutions that make the world a better place. So uh, you're working with the UN Human Rights Office and the International Federation of Red Cross, helping to defend the rights of humanity in the protection of life and property. So both UN Human Rights and the American Red Cross have visions for uh, improving the preparedness of um, all countries and people uh, in disaster recovery strategies. Can you talk a little bit about how IBM was inspired to launch the challenge and really dig into this effort to commit and foster the community effort and work with developers to create something that would really have a long-lasting impact uh, in in the world? Sure, sure. And I should make it clear that um, IBM, uh, we're a part of this effort, right? So we're a founding member. But it was um, David Clark uh, from David Clark Cause. He has deep roots um, in the community of well-known public figures, celebrities, non-government organizations like the UN. 
And he's ex- he's executed a bunch of campaigns around the world to mo- mobilize people um, around things like clean water, disease um, prevention and mitigation, things like that. And so David reached out to IBM. Um, he saw our history of kind of these world-changing moments over the last uh, 100 years that we've been around as a company, you know, executing a massive implementation of Social Security, sending astronauts to the moon through our computing power, and building out more recently, the artificial intelligence that's out there to, you know, answer, uh, take the corpus of information and answer real-time questions on Jeopardy. Just, right? a, so, just a few things. Nobody yeah, knows. <laughs> so, right. So he's, he saw that, right. And um, I mean, IBM had a long history of doing disaster resiliency and preparedness. So it was a natural fit for what he saw as a problem, right. Uh, you know, the impact, the growing impact of natural disasters and also the rising power of developers. They can, they can change the world, right. They can influence elections seeing that, that large power that they have. And um, the new idea was really doing this at a large scale, matching the developers to the, the global problem. And he saw that IBM was going to be a great partner in that, given our history of, of doing this sort of thing uh, with technology to, to influence the course of history. That's awesome. Now, I know that we want to give you know developers that want to be a part of this as much help as possible. And so there's something called the United Nations Sendai Framework for disaster risk reduction. So the main goals of that framework is to substantially reduce mortality, the number of people affected, economic loss, damage to critical infrastructure, and disruption of basic services, but also to increase the number of countries with national and local disaster risk strategies, and to increase the availability and access to multi-hazard early warning systems and and risk information to the people, all by 2030, so no big deal. But... uh, (laughs) With such broad aims, how would you recommend developers take these goals and turn them into something actionable, deployable, and scalable in the near term? Right. Yeah, the Sendai framework is is pretty comprehensive. I mean, it's, it takes a really large view of the problem. And what's really powerful about it is that it looks at the whole problem, right? Not just responding to um, someone who's in distress at the moment. It takes like a long view of long-term preparation, short-term preparation, and um, real-time help, as well as the build back better after the event that makes you more resilient in the future. So it provides an excellent vehicle for understanding not only the long-term uh, the the full time frame of things that can be done, but also it has suggestions and targets and ways to collaborate as an individual developer with a local government entity, with a national government entity. Uh, it shows that there's a lot of moving parts um, that can be mobilized um, and and harnessed towards creating a solution. So the great thing about it is it provides uh, a definition of real world problems and potential solutions. So you're not just building against a perceived problem, right? Writing some throwaway code that, you know, a developer may say, okay, this is this is what would be needed. Uh, it provides a great framework for really giving you the real problems to solve. And it also gives a view for developers to creating something long-term, sustainable, things that are really going to make a lasting impact rather than just a weekend project. Yeah, I mean, to your point, it, it really makes it, it breaks it down into like pieces that you can see, I think, unfortunately, in any disaster that could be solved by developers. Yeah, and one, and so the code patterns, this ties back to the code patterns because the bridge between the Sendai framework and um, the Red Cross uh, 2020 goals is are those code patterns, right? So it's they give you a starting point, uh, a transition, a bridge, as it were, to starting to solve those problems. No, um, so that's interesting. And so I know we've gotten a lot of uh, interest from this. And in fact, we, you've pushed the submission deadline to 928 because colleges and universities have so much wanted to be a part of this. Were you expecting that? Uh, well, we knew it was it was going to mobilize a lot of developers, and we weren't quite sure exactly how we were going to do with the time frame. Right? We wanted um, solutions created and developed and deployed as soon as possible, but we also realized that it takes a while to really 
develop a high quality solution and bring together all parts of society, not just corporate developers who you know are online during the summer, but also academic institutions that are on break, as well as other organizations. And we wanted to make the window for creating and building the solutions uh, as wide as we could, while at the same time balancing that against you know putting these solutions to work. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, we've been we've been thrilled with the response. So call for code. The global initiative, it started out with, with IBM, uh, the United Nations, Nations Human Rights Office, the American Red Cross, David Clark Cause, but it's now picked up a lot of momentum from affiliates, supporters, and sponsors who want to take part, who want to provide their APIs. They want to provide open source libraries for people to build their solutions and give them uh, the way to, to build on those and, and start integrating them. So we thought it was just wise to expand out the deadline, get as much participation as possible, and then get these things um, deployed as soon as possible after the competition ends. No, that's awesome. So if doing good wasn't good enough for you, for the people that want to be in this um, this contest, it is there is actually a grand prize of $200,000. And then two semifinalists receive $25,000. And then I believe the fourth and fifth runner-ups get 10000 each, plus support from the Linux Foundation, which is awesome, and from IBM, of course, for their technology. So how are you going to further the deployment of these ideas from the winning developers? Yeah, exactly. So we put a whole bunch of incentives in place for people to really <laughs> build something awesome, long-term, sustainable, uh, by whatever means motivates them. If you're uh, hardcore into the open source technology, if you're hardcore into a particular cause, um, a particular disaster area, or if you, you just look at that prize and say, all right, let's do this. So to support that, there is that cash prize, of course, awarded at a benefit concert that concludes the competition in October. Um, but the greatest impact happens after that comp- after the competition ends, after the award is given, the cash is given. So the Linux Foundation will provide an open source home for the applications. So that ensures that they're well-known, people can join those communities, that they have a healthy ecosystem built around it, um, a code of conduct, a meritocracy to help create, really apply the best practices to an open source project to make sure it, um, it lives on for a long time. The winning team will also have a shot at VC funding so they can build a company around their idea. So we want to make sure that whatever investment is put into this from developers is, is rewarded and there's an opportunity for them to center their own life around it, their livelihood around this, this world-changing application. And finally, IBM will work with the winners to deploy the solution in the areas of greatest needs through its corporate service core. So that's a program that's been around for 10 years, modeled similar to the United States Peace Corps. And uh, we've already sent 200 teams to nearly 40 countries around the world on a thousand projects. So it's it's a well-established program. We've got contacts around the world. So uh, it's really providing a way to take what's built and make it make a meaningful impact with it that lasts for the long term. Well, I mean, it's just it's just awesome stuff. I, I I applaud IBM for being a part of it and everyone else. So I want to thank you for taking the time to talk with us. I think it's really important to get the word out there. And um, I hope that this reaches a lot more developers and, and we get a lot more submissions. So thank you. Yeah, no problem. And so I invite everybody to go to callforcode.org. Uh, you can take part in the competition by registering. Uh, you'll get access to services, a community to flesh out your ideas, build up a team. Um, and if you're an organization that wants to take part, it's a sponsor, an affiliate, you can also go amplify the call for code, which is also available through callforcode.org. And hopefully you, you come on board and help us make the world a um, safer place. Yeah, and we should talk again after uh, after everyone's selected and, and talk about you know why they were selected and everything. So Excellent, yeah. Very interesting. All right, thank you. Wonderful, thank you, Rachel. 